This is the Amstaff podcast, a podcast about eating disorders, disordered eating, body image, and mental health. I'm your host, Queenie June Borgman, and in today's episode, episode 18 of season 4, I'm talking with Jake Biggs about having an eating disorder, anorexia, and fighting a brain tumor at the same time. Okay guys, welcome back to a new I'm Stuff Eating Disorder podcast episode. And as you know, in this season, season four, I've done a bit more effort on letting you talk all uh, because I think it's very important to not only hear me, but also share your experiences and your ideas, your uh, tips and tricks on how to deal with an eating disorder. And you're always welcome to go and get on the podcast with me to DM me to at imstuff underscore com or you can go to imstuff.nl and fill in the contact form and you can be on the podcast. And somebody did that and that is Jake. And Jake, he came to me throughout the DMs of Instagram and he has a very, I would almost say scary story in my personal opinion. And I'm not going to tell you what because first I'm going to say hi Jake, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. And Jake, could you tell the listeners today what you're going to share about your journey? So I suppose I'm just going to be sharing about myself, my background with my anorexia, and also how I also had a brain tumor and how I sort of went along and have progressed and recovered from both. And that's like when you liked uh you i think it's like a few weeks or so that we had the, the dm communication and there wasn't like a second needed for me to uh to to be like okay no you need to be here on the podcast <laughs> so for me it was like this doesn't happen often and it, it seems to me like a very very tough battle and you know having an eating disorder is a tough battle but combining that with cancer even more and I think it's a good thing uh, and a very different perspective for our listeners here to to listen to and what you have learned and the things and you did back in the day that helped out. So before we start out into the main interview, I would like to give you an option to tell the listeners where they can find you. Yeah, sure. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook, just Nutrition Longevity, um, and you can instagram me or email me directly at info.nutritionlongevity at gmail.com mm-hmm. nice so i want to have that information we're going to talk about it at the end of the podcast as well just to make sure people can find you if they are in some similar situation and maybe just you know because i like to do the podcast very freely and not a lot of um how would you say that preparation jake when did your um eating disorder started and when did the brain tumor started yes yeah, so i'm now 29 and the eating disorder the anorexia started in 2015 mm-hmm. so 2007 when i was 15 years of age got that two things mixed up mm-hmm. so that's when it started in 2007 um and then unfortunately um i had the brain tumor in 2015 so they were the two sort of key events um that was sort of the major roadblocks in my life to where i am now mm-hmm. and um do i understand that the eating disorder was earlier right yes that's right so the eating disorder when i was 15 and then the brain tumor was um later in 
2015. So the eating disorders started much earlier. There's a lot of stigma for a male on having an eating disorder. Um, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to ask, you know, was that the same for you? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, when I developed anorexia at such a young age, it was very much, you know, I didn't have a lot of education about it. I'd never studied or anything like that. I just, when it sort of the onset of that, but sort of looking back now, but even today, the very much of the stigma is that it's a very female dominant condition. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, a sort of a, a big problem in today's society because it's quite alienated. So there is males that are struggling with eating disorders, eating issues, but they're sort of scared to come out, scared to talk about it. And it's difficult. And I'm sort of hoping that I can be sort of a pioneer and being able to speak about mm -hmm. my eating issues to hopefully get other people um, to be able to speak out as well. Because obviously it's very hard when someone's embarrassed to talk about something um, in seeking professional help. But definitely that when I was getting um, professional help, there was male, you know, male eating disorders is on the rise. And a lot of it, unfortunately, is a lot of social media activity that when guys and girls, particularly guys, see a lot of mm -hmm. physiques of um, guys that are very unattainable. They feel that they're not able to live up to that. So there's a lot of stigma related to it, eating disorders with males. But when it was very interesting because when I was throughout my, I think I had 20 hospitalization visits, um, there was only one male throughout that time. And this was like going through like 200 people um, in hospital. There was just one other guy and I was, he was so much younger than me. So it's mm -hmm. definitely, that's come a long way, but it was very, def it was definitely very difficult for me being around in a sort of an eating disorder environment in a hospital setting with just being only females. It's sort mm -hmm. of, I think when looking back on it now, it made it more difficult for me because I sort of felt more embarrassed, like, what am I doing? Like, yeah. this is, this can't be right. So definitely male eating disorders is something that I feel like strongly passionate about with helping others. And definitely it's something that should get sort of more awareness. And we're talking about, you know, the eating disorder environment. Um, for me, I skipped out on any rehabilitation center for a person with an eating disorder because I knew for me it would be triggering and I would even mm. become aggressive because somebody force feeding me or would be standing next to me eating uh, while I was eating. I couldn't imagine, at least for the queenie back then, that I would be reacting to that very well. How was it for you? Was that environment for you triggering or was it healing? No, it, it definitely was the total opposite of healing, that's for sure. Um, that was a sort of an extremely, extremely traumatic experience being involved with, you know, people that are just so unwell. And I was so unwell. I was real near death. You know, it was very scary for me. Um, my pulse was incredibly low and there was a lot, a lot of nasogastric feeding. It was a very, very traumatic place. And that's the sort of the unfortunate thing when people get very ill with this condition is that they need to be in a hospital environment because they're extremely emaciated. They've got a lot of medical complications. Well, that's why they're in a hospital. That's why I was in a hospital. But the unfortunate thing is that it makes things worse because you're surrounded by nurses, you're surrounded by doctors. Um, it's a very controlled environment. You know, every single time 
of that day you're told exactly what to do when to do so you feel quite in prison like for i was having months upon months of being in hospital and it's just by myself it's very isolating my family could only come in specific times of the day and i think it's one that was definitely when i look back on the hospital experiences was the worst time of my entire life like Mm -hmm. by a country mile i've had you know deaths in the family i've had you know traumatic other times with my family's my parents divorced but being in hospital that was the the worst I've ever been in terms of my psychological state as well. Mm-hmm. When it comes down to you developing an eating disorder, what was for you, it can be a cluster of things or maybe one thing, for you the reason that you got it? Yeah, it's actually interesting. I mean, the it's hard to put exactly what happened. I just remember at that time, I don't have the best memory, but I do remember where I was at a school where it was quite overwhelming. I was getting bullied a little bit. And I was always a shy person. I wasn't someone that was very outspoken, wasn't someone that really wanted to be the center of attention. And Mm -hmm. I was finding that I wasn't able to speak up about my issues, about how I was feeling. I was feeling quite very depressed, very down. Um, The school was just not for me. And I think that's where it came, sort of maybe a controlling mechanism, Mm -hmm. where I found at that time where I felt something, that onset of reducing my food, increasing my exercise, of getting attention, getting sort of support, people being able to see, okay, wait, there's something wrong, what's going on? Because I wasn't able to speak about that. And that's sort of how it manifested that I quite quickly became you know lost a lot of it lost a lot of weight very quickly i've been a health conscious you know always playing sport my whole life but my weight tumbled very quickly and i think at that time things were quite difficult you know scary for me Um, but i think definitely there's that was the main thing i think very clearly the being in very you know very isolated in such a large school i think what that was really what brought it on and then it's sort of when it did come on it was very difficult because you know my family my parents you know didn't didn't know exactly what help i should get it was all very stressful so that's definitely the center sort of piece of it mm-hmm. you know the thing is here what you described i i think it's so i don't i just know listeners can confirm can confirm this for me it's very relatable that um, I had the same thing, you know, I was at a school and everything was actually well fine, not bullied per se, but not feeling comfortable as well, not having the room to speak out because other people always take the room, um, just not feeling fitted at the place or the school you are, and I had that even way later in university as well, and that type of structure or I would almost say imprisonment because for me school always feels a lot like prison, at least high school is really detrimental for mental health of children and eventually some people do drugs some people do alcohol and some people do eating disorders so that's the the Mm, coping the reaction yeah definitely like i remember when i was particularly not even in high school as well but in primary school there wasn't a lot of you know help that you could get Mm -hmm. you had teachers you had your classmates, but, you know, there was a psychologist at the primary school, but it was definitely just, it wasn't conducive. And I, 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 yeah, definitely agree with you in sort of a schooling environment. I think, yeah, definitely there needs to be more sort of 
emotional well-being um, yep. attention side of things there's obviously the school classes and exams and that side of thing but i think that's you've raised a really good point there yeah and i think of course you know we have a lot of things that we learn at school but i think um, emotional intimacy with yourself emotional intelligence mm. and stuff like that it's stuff that i think throughout the whole world people do not uh, at schools you know they do not invest in that mm. and because of that a mm. lot of outcomes for people are negative because they only get to get external knowledge but they don't get to know themselves yeah that's very true i i definitely can think that a lot of schools can definitely benefit some more psychological support. I actually didn't even think of that. That's a really, really good point you've raised. Um, Jake, is it so that even for you, although you were 15 back then, um, did you have yeah. that I would, social pressure, peer pressure of looking a certain way as a man? Um, I can honestly say no mm -hmm. um, when I was that age. like. You know, you got to remember that when it was that, <laughs> it was quite some years ago, like social media wasn't even around. I mean, I, not that I was aware of. Mm -hmm. um, so there really wasn't that pressure. I think it was just really me trying to scream out for help. I definitely didn't, didn't, definitely didn't feel at that age that I needed to be a certain physique or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's what became later on in life. Like I remember when I was older, you know, when I was in hospital, that's when sort of social media started ramping up mm -hmm. but back then it wasn't sort of I think it was more just a wanting that attention sort of that help mm -hmm. have you I don't, I don't know how your house situation is if you have a dad or not but uh, was it a thing that you could discuss with another male in your family you know was it something that they could take seriously or they knew what to do with it what was their place to say you know I'm a male and I have an eating disorder yeah like that's the unfortunate thing like you know i was incredibly close to both of my parents that you know that i still am but at that time but because it was something that was so new to me i wasn't able to speak up so that's the unfortunate thing that you know it would have been great being able to speak about this you know openly but i wasn't really i wasn't able to i think because i was just so scared of what the hell was going on with me i was just mm -hmm. derailing psychologically and also physically but i just i just didn't have the capacity to speak about it because you I mean also when and some of that's such a young age and I was just thinking about this the other day like you're just starting off in life like I didn't really know what was going on so that was the sort of the scariest part that I was mm -hmm. sort of living like this you know derailing and then sort of getting worse and I didn't know what was going on because I was just sort of going through the motions but it wasn't yeah wasn't mm -hmm. positive going through the motions did their divorce had any influence on you getting an eating disorder it's hard to know um it happened you know around that time it was a little bit later um i always felt that there was some sort of conflict a little bit but it obviously didn't help on um, with anyone that knows their parents going through the divorce it's very stressful um, but I don't think it was the exact direct reason. I think it was that was just something that happened that had a impact on me. Um, it wasn't helpful, but it wasn't the actual onset. Mm -hmm. um, but anything when it comes to eating disorders, and particularly for me, what I found was that the best thing with eating disorder, apart from exposure therapy treatment, is having stability like stability in your life in terms of your relationships 
in terms of your, you know, just your network. And I found that that was a very difficult time, that things were so turbulent in my family. Yeah. Um, that was definitely an aggravating factor from that. Because I think definitely when I look back, if I found that, you know, things were more harmonious, you know, things were good at home, you know, I had a good support network, you know, things were strong, but because there was a lot of conflict mm -hmm. in terms of the decisions being made, in terms of the direction, it was more um, difficult for me and it definitely didn't um, accelerate the progress. It sort of accelerated the regression, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to jump to the part of the cancer part. In which state was your body when you discovered that you had a brain tumor? Yes, yeah, so it was actually, so that happened in 2015 where I was still struggling with anorexia, not completely severe needing to be hospitalized, but I wasn't definitely physically well. So what actually happened was throughout that time, I was still going to gym. Um, I enjoyed doing weight training, I still do, and I was doing it then. And then I was at a new gym that I hadn't been to before, and I was in the middle of a, just a rest period. And then I just had a seizure, just like, just bang, like just, I was just resting, sitting down. And well, God like an epileptic seizure or what do you Yeah, oh, yes, yeah, okay, so okay. an epileptic, yeah. epileptic seizure so that it actually felt like my face was being ripped off. Like it was the most, it was the, it was the most surreal experience for me. I was just sitting there and then all of a sudden you feel like, so yeah, you feel like your face is being stripped off from you and then I fell to the ground. Thank God to this day, I had, you know, I've had many, I've had many seizures and thank God to this day, it hasn't been one that has put my life at risk. You know, mm -hmm. God forbid I'd have a seizure when I was doing the squat or yeah. something like that, mm -hmm. you know, or the bench press, it would yeah. have been late disaster mm -hmm. so god was on my side for that um but then so that was just i thought my parents thought it was just a freak accident and then a couple of days later i was at the gym and the same thing happened um and it was actually interesting that you know at that time you know when the seizure luckily those people at the gym they were trained in first aid and they knew what to do in sort of you know making me you know lie to the floor you know turning my head but the, the there was something wrong like you know so my dad is an orthopedic sur surgeon he quickly organized an mri scan for me i went to the hospital and then they found a tumor and that was like i was thinking like are you serious like what how much more do i need to go through i mean mm. can't like kill, can't killers in the world have two separate conditions like why do i have to get this as well now so that's what happened. So I got the brain. So that was then that got diagnosed and it was so stressful at that time because they had to operate on it quite quickly because obviously we didn't want it to grow more. Um, and then it got operated on really, very quickly in the next couple of days. And then unfortunately when I had, after the operation, I needed a subsequent, um, period of radiation therapy. So radiotherapy. So luckily i didn't have the chemotherapy but that was incredibly difficult for me because we had to do the radiotherapy but because i was at a low weight and i wasn't having a solid amount of food um, i wasn't very healthy i mean it really really knocked me 
I was extremely fatigued. I was extremely tired. I lost a lot of my hair, you know, my self-confidence was just down the toilet. Um, so that was a very difficult time and I had to have radiotherapy for a good couple of weeks. And I've been able to, thank God, be seizure-free for many years now. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a really, really good thing. But that was a very difficult time in my life. And how was your eating pattern during all those radiations? Uh, moments because i'm guessing it as a dietitian i know that radiation can change your appetite your flavor taste buds yeah so it, uh, definitely at that time it um didn't really affect my taste buds i just wasn't really i wasn't at a high enough weight i was still underweight and i really wasn't nourishing myself so it actually exasperated it but at that time it was very difficult for me and did you have like the uh, nutrition drinks to add on weight or to stay stable with the weight, the, the high calorie drinks? No, I didn't have that during the time that the, the Ensure, Sustagen, yeah. those sort of formulated mm -hmm. drinks, um, Pediasure, those sort, they was all through hospital. Um, that was since that when I had my last admission, that was before I had luckily, you know, Onwards from the brain tumor, I didn't have another hospitalization visit, but definitely the formulator drinks, that was all through hospital, but not post-hospital. I don't think I can ever look at that ever again, one of those drinks. <laughs> They're terrible. And like I had them uh, last December, no, September because my dog died and I got so, so like I cried for two weeks straight and I've never drank one of those drinks during my eating disorder, but... I just got so emotionally like stuck that I was like, yeah. okay, I'm eating, but it's not enough, but I want my calories in. So I ordered those and I got like the craziest heartbeat rhythm stuff of that stuff because it's so sugary. Not a fan yeah. of it either. No, yeah. Okay. The problem is also with those formulated drinks is that they make it hospital grade, particularly a lot of, I had a specific one that was just made for eating disorders because unfortunately mm -hmm. there's a lot of bulimic there's yeah. a lot of bulimic patients um, at the unit and they made this specific formulation that was not able to be, you know, vomited it out pretty much. Wow, so I didn't know to that. Put it bluntly. Okay. Yeah, so it actually was, you know, there was a lot of girls, unfortunately, out of time. And this, that was, that was, this was at a private unit, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and there were so many that would just go to the bathroom and try to vomit that side of thing and the god that was crazy for me um, about, but they... what, was it only anorexia for you or has it been binge eating or anorexia no 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 so just at that no only anorexia i never never really i never even looked into like vomiting or anything like that it was just purely mm -hmm. anorexia and not binging mm -hmm. um but yeah those formulated drinks they're pretty heavy and they yeah i, I don't think i can see one of those again um did having a brain tumor uh helped you with the thought of maybe i should recover from my eating disorder that's a really good question um it was i don't know if exactly the brain tumor i definitely had a time when as i mentioned to you when we were messaging each other that i went to a, a specialized eating disorder program in los angeles called the UCLA eating disorder program and that was the first time where I had sort of psychological support as well as the physical um, support and I think that's something where the world really lacks knowledge of like because there's a lot of places that just focus on 
the physical rehabilitation, getting someone's weight up, getting physical, you know, symptoms, you know, in terms of physically, but having that combination of psychological intervention and also the nutritional support is absolutely king. And that was the first time that I had that. So even that I was still struggling that time, I got amazing psychological support. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a great amount of exposure therapy that was very helpful for me that I think is really the missing link in today's anorexia nervosa treatment. I think there should be much more emphasis on that, which I can go into. But um, at that time, with the brain tumour, going back to your question, it was something that I think was just progressively coming along, along more in my mind. I was definitely feeling I just can't cope with this anymore. Like, I can't... I think... That's when I was just like, I've hit, like, it was just rock bottom. I was just, you you know, became was just sick of many, yourself or? Yeah, completely. I was yeah. just having so many hospitalization visits. Like, I had no idea what the world was without, you know, besides mm-hmm. from nurses and besides yeah. from hospitals. And I just, yeah. I think I remember, like, very quickly, I suddenly something just popped up in my mind. I was like, no, like, I'm just, I'm not doing this again. Like, I'm never, ever going to end up in hospital ever again. Mm-hmm. I've had, I fell off my electric scooter eight weeks ago. Yeah. And that was when I was in hospital. So that was a different reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms <laughs> yeah. of anorexia, in terms of being, you know, I, I said to myself that that day, I don't remember, I didn't write it down. I'm like, Jake, you are never, ever going to let yourself go into hospital again. And I think that's something that can really drive treatment, recovery, healing, Mm -hmm. is having a real emphasis or real goal in your life. Like, what do you want your life to be? I had to make a very simple decision. So I want my life to be just being in the hospital and just being the candidate that everyone knew that I was like, I would, I would repeatedly go back to these hospitals and they, I, I could see on their faces. They just knew who I was. It was just, it was, that's like what's the your, only thing I knew. Was your eating disorder or your, or having cancer or maybe even both, did it became your identity? I don't think it was my identity. Um, because after when I had the brain tumor, that was when, I had, you know, I was still struggling, but I definitely didn't feel like I was, it was very scary, but I didn't think I was going to end up in hospital again. I didn't think it was my identity. I think I definitely thought it was my identity much earlier when I was just in and out of hospital, like there's no tomorrow. Okay. I'm thinking, I, I was just talking with the man that I'm dating and I'm, I said to him, you know, I'm going to interview you. And I told a little bit about what's going on or what has been going on back in the day. And one of the things he asked me, so actually it's like his question is that did did have having anorexia, did it influence the growth of the brain tumor? Is it made, did it because there's a study out there that, you know, intermittent fasting or less food intake will uh, actually make the growth of a cancer of a tumor uh, less yeah. prominent. Was that something that had influences on that? Did they talk about that with you? No, I mean, it's obviously something that I've been asked a lot um, in the sense of how did my previous malnourishment, um, how did that affect the tumor? And I think the answer is I don't know, and I don't think anyone will know. I mean, there's obviously... It can just happen um, or they can happen for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really haven't investigated so much of why it happened. I was just sort of in that time. And I don't think 
for me, I don't really know if anyone would definitely have the answer for that. There can be so many different reasons. So to your temporary, is a temporary or permanent boyfriend now? Oh, oh, <laughs> the man that I'm dating. Let's not, okay, man, man, let's, okay, make current. <laughs> let's not make this complicated. Well, okay, no problem. So to your boyfriend at this present time, um, the answer is I don't know. Okay, yes, okay. Yeah. And I'm guessing it's a hard thing to tell because both are going linear together and, and you just, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So it's all it's a lot of like I find that a lot of when I get questions on a lot of people that are very, you know, quite inquisitorial trying to ask me like, How did this happen? Why did that how did this affect that? And the answer is like I don't know mm-hmm. and I don't think anyone will ever know. You know, yeah. some things just happen, um, and this just sort of happened. How did you get out of your eating disorder? What what made it, you know, what steps did you took to get out of it? Because that's something that the listeners really want to know. Like, yes. what path yes. do I take when I'm in my eating disorder and want to go get out yeah. of it? Yeah, okay. So that's a really good question. So definitely I can categorically say that when I was throughout hospital um, in Australia, I actually don't know what it's like now. Thank God, touch wood, I haven't been back for a very long time. When I was during hospital at that time, there was no psychological support whatsoever. I had no understanding of any coping mechanisms, any strategies that I should use. I was under no illusion whatsoever. This was from years and years. So I have no idea how my eating disorder, how my recovery would have been after if I had so many years of um, no psychological support whether if I had psychological support. So what I said before is that I think it's really important for anyone listening to understand that recovery has to be multifaceted and it can't just be physical, getting someone's weight up, getting someone's vital signs and then getting their weight up or, and it can't just be having psychological support because you need to have both at the same time. So that's the thing, the key thing that I happened, that happened to me when I was at the in in the states, having that psychological support um, as well as the nutritional support. Mm-hmm. At that time, I think what definitely was the key driver for me was learning coping strategies yeah. and learning coping mechanisms. Because we had some really amazing classes, we had some amazing experts um, there that not only not only psychologists but a lot of social workers as well, where we would do a really amazing two amazing techniques called cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy would get a lot of videos from that and we had a lot of time with those professionals and what they would do is that we would have a you know hour-long discussions on when we had we wanted to do when we i was in a very you know when we have the obsessionality when you have the compulsions what do you do you can either go on with it um, and which is just going to make things worse. The brain's going to be more wired to those behaviors, or you can be able to cope. And that's the way that I found where I was when that's when I found that my healing was really accelerated when I absolutely learned how to deal with the obsessionality with not it, how to do with the compulsions. Because the amazing thing about coping strategies like that is that it allows you to be able to progress and move forward and that's where i think the key thing for recovery has to incorporate exposure therapy so exposing yourself to anything that you feel 
that you're anxious about is myself was definitely about increasing my food intake getting the variety of my food intake going out for restaurants that side of things very rigid restricted but I went for I had a few times when I was doing exposure therapy when I went with my psychologist to a restaurant I hadn't been to a restaurant for a very long time and the first time it was just very difficult for me like very stressful but the main thing with doing exposure therapy is that you just need to be able to tolerate the anxiety anything that in life we do that is stressful but when it comes back to anorexia when it comes to eating more or getting someone getting your weight up or being more diverse in your diet the main thing is just to start with very small changes then gradually increase they call it the hierarchy pyramid mm-hmm. so the best thing that anyone can do that struggles with anorexia is to do exposure therapy okay. um, because that's going to be able to open your brain up it's going to open your life up if you're I mean, if you're going to be on the dating story i'll have to come up with a dating story for you so when it comes to well i say to exposure therapy this would be an example that i give when people laugh at me but i hadn't dated for a very very long time i haven't either <laughs> so that's just recently just so, recently good so the real so the what a great example which is quite humorous for a lot of people is that i hadn't dated for so long so i hadn't even met a girl before the first time i took out a girl it was so so stressful for me what do i say what don't i say you know i was just overwhelmingly stressful overwhelming it was so anxiety provoking for me but now when i take a girl out it's not as stressful for me because the brain has habituated yeah it's been able to learn those new you know those new signals in the brain so when it comes to anorexia when you're i remember very clearly that you know when you'd see the scale go up or when you try different food or you need to increase your food amount the anxiety is going to go through the roof but once you do it for enough for a long period of time the anxiety just goes and i think that's the unfortunate thing is that when you get very emaciated um and very low weight um the obsessionalities get worse and it's harder yeah. Yeah. to actually make changes so definitely like the main thing that i can tell anyone out there is that you have to be able to the only way of the first thing you have to do is getting physically well because if you're not physically well there's no sort of psychological treatment that it's going to be strong enough because the brain is not nourished enough you're not at a high enough weight but then being able to learn the art of exposure therapy whether if it's one in future it's with any sort of anorexia treatment it's whether it's getting your weight up like i said or you can just be you know branching out like moving moving out like moving away from these sort of compulsions whether if it's you know i remember very clearly in hospital where you'd see so many different um patients be hiding food um that side of things and when if it's even when i was older that side of things and i very clearly like it would just it'll be very clear to me that if they didn't not hide the food and eat it like the anxiety would go through the roof the anorexia voice would go through the roof and if you do it over a long period of time you know you just don't even think about it so that would be the main message for me if that mm-hmm. makes sense i have two questions left because we're always bonded on through time and that is how did you feel yourself when you had an eating disorder and how do you feel yourself now um i think 
I mean, I'm still Jake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so definitely at that time, it was something that was very difficult for me. Um, I was obviously very embarrassed, like being, as we mentioned before, like being a male, that side of things, I was very embarrassed. But to where I am now, like, I mean, it's, I think that I think about my anorexia as something that happened to me. Um, it was an unfortunate thing, but thank God to this day, um, I don't have, you know, impulsive, you know, a lot of thought. I don't have any thoughts anymore of losing weight, you know, ended up in hospital. And I think that's the main message. Like, it's not, I felt that it's not really my identity. Like, it's not really a part of me. Like, I don't really think of myself like Jake, you know, who had anorexia. I just think of the part. But I think the definite thing is that no matter how severe um, ill someone is with this condition or with anorexia, um, there's definitely, it is a, you know, there is a way forward um, that you don't need to struggle with it. There is okay. definitely um, recoveries. 100% there, I very Plus much four. believe for any, anyone yeah. in this world who struggles. I think, you know, for me, I was a near-death experience. And um, I, at that time, and I was so young, like, this is going to be the rest of my life. Like mm -hmm. I saw in hospital, I saw someone, I spoke with her, she was 70 years old and she had had anorexia to 15 years old. And I said, well, really? Like you've had this for so long, like what do you, she was like, yeah, just, it's a part of me. Like it's just too, too scary for me to change. Yeah, that's but scary. Oh, like I yeah, have the really, same thing yeah. as well. I, I have met a few ladies, not gentlemen now, but ladies no. that are like 80 plus and have an eating disorder. I've had them for so long. I am, yeah. I was very, um, I was like, oh my God, like personally for me, it didn't help meeting those people. So I was really like, oh my God, I want to no. die. If this is my life, I'm, it's just, oh God, you know, of course it's not a good yeah. thing. It, it really depends on how you react to it. But I really had yeah. that from, oh my God, is this going to be it? I really need to yeah. change. Well, that's that's the, that's ex exactly the you know the point that I was making before. Yeah. That the longer you leave this, the longer you leave the behaviors the same. The longer you leave the compulsions that I've explained before, the harder it is going to be to change. So you yeah. think about it. Definitely. I was doing it for you know five steps, whatever, how many? Not not long, but if you do it for twenty, thirty, it's like your the brain is so wired to those behaviors. It's kind of like it, the it's same. At it's some like, point, it's a habit. At some point, it really is an, it's, a disorder it's, with complementary habits. And that's the shitty yeah, part of it. Yeah, exactly. The habits just get too ingrained. So that's the, that's the sort of the most important thing about catching it early. Because if you try to change behaviors um, at a younger age, at a younger, you know, where you are, it means that you know the compulsions mm -hmm. this yeah the success rate is so much higher because yeah. it's it's easier on the patient like it's just you know you can tell someone you need to do this like this is what's going to help you but at that time i'm getting like okay well thanks yeah that's really really helpful for you doctor but you know you're not in my brain mm -hmm. um Jake. and i think it got to this yeah, sorry, you go. Time-wise, I need to. It's so <laughs> oh, shitty, good. sorry. Because I still have, sorry, I still have two questions. We were preparing for yes, yes, yes. two. Because you, you have, because you have had two diseases. So you've had the tumor yes. and you had the anorexia. I believe there are people there that have an eating disorder and maybe they have like colitis ulcerosa or another disease. Maybe they have celiacs or something. What yep. is your advice for people that are battling with one disease and then the other disease? 
That's a very, very good question. My definitely, my advice is that to get the right help for your condition. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely for me, someone who I primarily had anorexia and I had anxiety, severe anxiety. So mm -hmm. I got help from a psychologist and also from a medical doctor looking after me. When it comes to different conditions, I think it's like, I think what I learned during that time is doing one thing at a time. Like you need to be able to tackle one thing. So if you're doing, trying to tackle so many things at once, it just gets confusing. You definitely need a path forward. So you just need to be able to, whatever's the most priority. So mm -hmm. for me at that time, even though I had severe anorexia, my brain tumor was life-threatening. Like mm -hmm. that had to be treated too. So when it comes to someone with multiple conditions, my mm -hmm. primary advice is to deal with something, to deal with it that is the most pressing mm -hmm. matter, and mm -hmm. then you wake your work your way around. Like for me, I even though I needed psychological help at you know a young age, um, the primary thing at that time was I had to. It was life support. I had to get some nutrition into me. Okay. So when you're dealing with multiple things, I definitely think that you need to deal with the most pressing matter mm -hmm. and then work your way. That's where I come from. Okay, and the last question is, what is your take-home message for the listeners? So my take-home message for the listeners is what I said before, that if anyone's struggling with any eating disorder and it's anorexia, bulimia, muscle dysmorphia, like there's so many different ones that I can't even list them all. Um, the main thing is to have always hope um, that you're able with the right psychological help and making sure you're physically well to have recovery from this condition. I've mm -hmm. definitely felt, I definitely strongly feel with the right, right amount of exposure therapy um, you are definitely be able to have a life that's free from this. Um, I'm definitely a definitely a living example of this, and I just want anyone to sort of know that, however difficult it is, I think it's really important for you to have a very specific what goal, like what do you want in your life. Like I had to make a, as I said earlier, make a very clear decision what I wanted in my life. And then if you feel like you want something in your life, and you feel that you're determined enough, I'm a pretty determined guy. You just got to, you know, do work your absolute ass off um, to make sure it happens and that you can have a life um, free. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you so much, Jake, for sharing everything you just shared, because I think there are people that are battling two demons at once and are mostly it's not talked about. So when you again, when you came into my DM, I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is still a thing as well that's out there. And I think it's even a more of a plot twist because you're a male. And I think it's even yep. more of a plot twist because you're in Australia and a lot of us aren't there. So it's a specific yeah. way of course of how they deal with eating disorders there as just like other countries. Um, yes. Could you, you know, your social stuff, could you just say it one time more so that people can find you? Yeah, sure. So my Facebook and Instagram is Nutrition Longevity. So I'll be able to have a link tree there and you'll see my website. Um, anyone can send me a DM or you can send me an email at info.nutritionlongevity at gmail.com. And I say that anyone who wants to ask me any questions or if they have any thoughts um, where they're at, I'm more than happy to help. I'd love to help others. Yes. Okay. So guys, you heard that. And I will be, of course, tagging Jake into my stories as well. So you will find his instagram at least there so you could tap on further and follow him or send him a dm 
And I think we just had a very good episode. So thank you again, Jake. And guys, for listening, see you in the next episode. Out of the top of my head, we still have two or one episodes left for season four. And to be honest, I do not know how I'm going to fill that in. Maybe I'm doing something that's in my head, but it's a little bit, I think, strange, but also very funny. Uh, But I need to see if the person is up to that. So, guys, see you in the next episode. And thanks again, Jake, so much. Absolute pleasure. Great to chat. Thank you for listening to the I'm Stuff podcast. If you would like to know more, you can go to imstuff.nl or to the Instagram imstuff underscore com and start working on your relationship with food today.